Hello and welcome to Resources Radio, a weekly podcast from Resources for the Future. I'm your host, Daniel Ramey. Today, we talk with Boma Brown-West, Director of Consumer Health and Environmental Defense Fund. Boma works on a wide range of issues related to the safety of consumer products, and in today's episode, she'll help us understand some of the risks associated with packaging. Along with the well-known environmental damages from plastic pollution, we'll dig into the lesser-known risks to human health from the chemicals that are part of the packaging we consume every day. Whether it's single-use plastics, food containers, or even pizza boxes, there's reason to be concerned, and a lot we don't know about how these products affect our long-term health. Stay with us. All right, Boma Brown-West from EDF, thank you so much for joining us today on Resources Radio. Hi, thank you for inviting me. So, Boma, we're going to talk today about uh, the issue of packaging, which I'm really looking forward to because I know just about nothing about it. Um, But before we dive into the details, we always ask our guests how they got interested in working on environmental issues, either at a young age or at an older age. So what kind of steered you into this line of work? Well, when I was a little kid, um, that was when um, the world started learning more about the ozone layer and what was going on with it. Um, and issues with acid rain. And um, all of that really stuck with me. Um, And, um, you know, the environment became something I was uh, pretty interested all along, even as I, uh, you know, pursued engineering as my, um, you know, career and everything. Um, But uh, on top of that, I do have to say that uh, I was of the age when Captain Planet was on the air and um, loved watching Captain Planet. Um, I think I probably watched every single episode and it just showed me the breadth of environmental issues um, that are out there um, that we needed to solve. That um, definitely uh, made me very passionate about environmental issues. Yeah, that is so fascinating. You know, um, you are the second person in the last couple of weeks who mentioned Captain Planet as kind of a, a, a key driver of their environmental awareness. Um, the other guest who talked about Captain Planet was Gilbert Michaud from uh, Loyola University of Chicago. So um, Captain Planet is being very well represented lately here on Resources Radio. Excellent. I mean, it was a great show. And um, I do think we need more types of media like that to help really engage people as they're growing up on these issues. Yeah, I totally agree. Um, I hope that we get more of it. I have a three-year-old and we don't watch a lot of TV now, but I'm sure we will be watching some more in the future. And I hope to be able to show him some some pretty excellent environmental content. <laughs> and if not, then we'll just go back to the old Captain Planet and see how that goes. So Boma, um, let's talk now about kind of the main subject of our conversation, which is uh, packaging. So you published a blog post recently uh, with the title, The World Has a Packaging Problem. And we're going to dive into some of the details in the next 25 minutes or so. But can you start off just by giving us a a high-level overview of the different types of environmental concerns or health concerns that we might have about packaging as it currently exists? Yeah, you know, um, with packaging, um, there there are a number of environmental issues surrounding this everyday, um, you know, material, this everyday type of product that we have in our lives. And most of the conversation is around waste um, and the huge impact that it's having on our planet um, and our oceans. And, you know, I'm sure uh, many of your listeners have seen images of 
uh, packaging waste that's building up around the globe in cities, um, on beaches, and in our oceans. Um, but often what's overlooked there is also the, the health impact from um, the chemicals used in packaging. Um, lurking in packaging, especially in food packaging, are toxic chemicals that get into our food and ultimately into our bodies. And, um, you know, those chemicals have been linked to chronic health issues like infertility or endocrine disruption um, and even cancer. Um, and so when we think about the, when we think about the, uh, about packaging the problem, it's, it's on one hand, the environmental impact that it's having, but also the direct health impact it's having on our daily lives. Yeah, it's, it's so interesting. I mean, as you say, there's been so much focus on the environmental risks of uh, plastics, things like plastic straws, plastic bags, uh, plastic bottles, uh, other, you know, single use plastics. Um, the issue of health has not gotten as much attention. And, and we're going to talk about that in just a minute. But first, let's um, review maybe some of the big environmental risks um, that packaging poses, whether it's plastics or others. Can you give us a sense, like, how should we think about the scale of the environmental damage that plastics pose? I mean, we've all seen pictures of plastics on the beaches, and maybe some of us have heard of the Great Pacific Garbage Patch and others. But can you give us some ways to kind of wrap our heads around the scale of the problem? Yeah, and um, you know, most of the images that are fresh in our mind, that's at the that's at the end when the packaging has become waste, right? Um, but the environmental impact of packaging really starts all the way back at the beginning. Um, especially when you're talking about plastic packaging production, which is very energy intensive. Um, and so there are uh, you know, clear climate impacts of just producing the packaging. Um, that we that we have in our lives. And globally, roughly um, 8 billion tons of plastic have been generated um, um, or over 8 uh, billion tons of plastic. And almost half of that is single use plastic packaging. So when you think of that, you know, this is packaging that only has one use, one usefulness. And then after that, we have to consider the waste that that generates on our planet. EPA uh, mentioned at one point, or they stated in 2018, that 28% of municipal solid waste, um, which was equivalent to 82 million tons, was packaging and other types of packaging containers. But when we think about those numbers and we think about the U.S., but then also think about the globe, the issue is that we do not have the waste recovery infrastructure to match that type of generation. Yeah. And when you say waste recovery infrastructure, is that like, um, is that the type of thing that I would think of as recycling or does that encompass other ways of dealing with these types of wastes? Uh, yeah. Recycling is definitely a big, a big one. Um, you know, as we think about the um, concept of the circular economy, it's also what can we do in addition to recycling? How can we reuse uh, materials in their current state? Um, the infrastructure includes um, collection and, of course, um, breaking down the materials and reusing them. But that type of infrastructure is um not where it needs to be when we're talking about our current um, system. That's so interesting and um, and concerning. Um, so 
as you said, you know, there's been less attention paid to some of the potential health risks associated with packaging in its many forms uh, in the United States and around the world. Can you start us off with uh, a few more details about what those direct risks to human health are that packaging currently poses? Sure. Um, so one, you know, one thing that isn't well known is that the products and the packaging that we put uh around our body that we put on our body um sometimes the food we ingest are all sources of um exposure to toxic chemicals so um when we talk about packaging for example there are roughly 12,000 chemicals that are intentionally added to packaging to provide the functionality we need so for example to make sure that it's water repellent or moisture repellent to um, give it a stretchiness, um, to provide um, a certain type of color or look. But lurking inside that packaging, especially inside food packaging, chemicals um, that are directly added, they can pose a problem. Uh, And in addition to those, there are also 100,000 chemicals that unintentionally migrate into the food from various um, food contact articles. And these are the things that weren't intentionally added, but were uh, potentially picked up along the way during production. Uh, So uh, a great way to think about this is looking at a pizza box. Uh, And, you know, the reason a pizza box, a cardboard box, is able to withstand grease is um, because of a class of chemicals called... um, PFAS, which stands for per and polyfluorinated alkyl substances. Um, And these substances are commonly used as grease proofing agents. Um, But, you know, that's just an example of a pizza box. Then we think about other types of food packaging that we bring into our lives, uh, like fast food wrappers, salad bowls, um, plastic containers, um, and even paper packaging like cereal boxes. Uh, And all of these are potential sources of toxic chemicals um, that can impact our health. Yeah, it is pretty concerning. And the my understanding of many of these chemicals is that you know some of them have been studied in lab settings and experimental settings but like the large number of them we just don't really know very much about what types of impacts they may have on human health at different exposure levels is that right right and you know sometimes it takes many years to build up that level of understanding right and um the problem is that while we do that um we are we're consistently being exposed So, for example, the PFAS chemicals I just mentioned, virtually every single American has PFAS in their bodies. And this is because this is a very ubiquitous um, group of chemicals that are used in packaging, um, in paper packaging, in plastic films, in plastic containers, um, and in other types of products. Um, And we've uh, been gaining the um, understanding and the research over time into the effects, into learning that they are persistent, they are bioaccumulative, meaning that they stay in the environment and build up over time in our bodies and in the bodies of other living things, and that they're linked to a host of health issues like developmental problems, cancer, and liver damage. Um, and then the issue is that we're, it's not just one uh, class of chemicals that's of concern and that is ubiquitous in plastics or in other types of packaging. Um, you know, there are many others, including uh, the class of chemicals called phthalates, which have a 
very um, funny spelling. And they are they're used directly in packaging materials and also in packaging inks, um, and which can migrate through certain types of packaging materials. And um, phthalates have been linked to many reproductive, developmental, and endocrine-related health problems. And when I say endocrine, I mean our hormone system, essentially. Um, and those risks can be um, heightened um, at different stages of our life. So, for example, when we're young children or um, pregnant women. Yeah, it's it's really uh, kind of mind-boggling how many you know potential risks are out there and how little we know about many of them. So, one of the ways that you and your colleagues at EDF have helped to try to help companies and to lesser extent the public, correct me if I'm wrong, but my sense is that this work is largely uh, targeted towards companies, is to develop uh, something called the Understanding Packaging Scorecard, uh, which helps companies understand the various environmental and health risks that might be associated with different types of packaging products. Can you tell us a little bit more about this tool uh, and who is it designed for and what it's designed to do? Yeah, one of one of EDF's main um, strategies is to influence um, company behavior and help companies um, be more sustainable. And uh, the the understanding packaging scorecard or um, the UP scorecard is um, one of the is one of the ways um, one of the recent ways that we've gone about doing that. Um, so essentially today, you know, that there is some awareness in industry around um, needing to utilize more sustainable packaging. Um, but there are competing product claims like compostable, recyclable, low carbon, non-toxic. And so it's nearly impossible for companies to know which materials are truly safer and more sustainable um, and how to really balance those trade-offs. Uh, so, for example, choosing a material with a lower carbon footprint could result in um, using a material that actually contains more toxic chemicals. And that's really where the UP scorecard comes in. It's a first-of-its-kind tool and that measures commonly used foodware, food packaging materials with one yardstick to provide companies with the information that they need um, to make sustainable purchasing decisions. And with the tool, they can compare different food or beverage container types uh, against each other and choose the one that has the lowest environmental and health impacts. And we were really making sure to make this easy to use, but also comprehensive. And so the, in, the environmental impacts that are featured in the UP scorecard include, um, or the impact areas, if you will, include climate, water use, plastic pollution, sustainable sourcing, recoverability, and then importantly, particularly um, for uh, the work that I lead, chemicals of concern. And um, it was really critical um, for our, our whole group to make sure that chemicals of concern um, was included as one of the six uh, critical impact areas within the UP scorecard. Yeah, it's such an interesting tool. I, I I was saying to you, Boma, before we got started with this recording, that I was exploring, you know, some some comparisons between different types of beverage containers, and and uh, yeah, I just learned some really interesting stuff. For example, you know, glass bottles uh, appear to be substantially more uh, damaging for the climate than uh, PET bottles, and 
I'm blanking on what, what PET stands for. I think it's it's basically like a single-use plastic bottle, right? Right, right. Yeah, and then these other scores for things like water usage and, and sourcing and chemicals of concern. There's just a whole lot to learn there, even for the interested individual. Um, so, you know, when we think about companies that are taking different approaches to packaging, I'm sure there's, you know, a, a wide variety of approaches that companies are taking and a, and a diverse set of um, sort of appetites to deal with this problem, let's say. But when you look across the landscape broadly, what's your view on how the industry is doing in terms of recognizing the problem and then acting on it? You know, I, I do see some increasing energy when it comes to seeking out sustainable packaging. Um, but, you know, as, as I mentioned before, I think a few things are at play where we don't see um, the kind of the accelerated momentum that we really need to see on this issue. Um, part of that is the confusion about what sustainable packaging really means um, and what elements of sustainability should take priority. Um, and of course, you know, I, I, you know, cost is also an issue in terms of moving away from what a company already knows um, uh, to um, more sustainable offerings that in the long run will minimize environmental and health impacts. And then, you know, when you bring in when you bring in that serious issue of toxic chemicals and packaging, there's even less understanding in the industry and less action. And so what we really are trying to do here with the up scorecard is engage companies um, and build up that awareness about the environmental and health risks uh, associated with packaging um, to help, uh, you know, really get companies setting those goals, setting those time-based goals to utilize sustainable packaging to eliminate toxic chemicals in packaging. And it was very helpful that this was really a stakeholder collaboration to put this together. Um, so there were key companies there like Compass and um, Sodexo um, helping to develop this scorecard in addition to uh, EDF and, and other NGOs um, who care about these issues. Yeah, that's really interesting. And, um, you know, as a consumer, a consumer who cares about this kind of thing, it's it's often really hard for me to understand what on earth is going on with these different types of packaging and how sustainable uh, the different options are. The UP scorecard definitely helps to do that. But, but I imagine that even with um, private sector action, there might be a useful role for governments to play here. So what are some levers that are available to policymakers, maybe here in the United States, uh, at the federal level, or, or other levels of government that you think might be fruitful? Yeah, there's definitely um, a role for policymakers. I think um, if from our point of view at EDF, we see um, that a sustainable future requires uh, strong leadership um, from policymakers and strong leadership from, from companies. Um, you really do need both. So uh, on the issue of packaging, we do need uh, more um, tools, more incentives, more, more of a push for driving down our um, packaging waste um, and you know, pushing forward uh, 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 packaging solutions that um, that have lower environmental impacts and lower health impacts. On the health front, um, what we need policymakers to do is press the FDA to improve its oversight of the food system. Um, because, you know, 
it's all about what goes into the food, but also food contact articles and packaging is part of that. And right now the agency doesn't have the tools or the authority to do its job. Um, and we as consumers suffer the consequences. So for, you know, the first thing there is uh, we need FDA really closing loopholes that allow companies to um, decide on the safety of chemicals in food contact materials um, without FDA's review or the public's knowledge. And we need them to ensure that existing chemicals in the system are safe. There are thousands of chemicals that were approved by FDA decades ago. And when back when we had far less understanding about the impacts on human health. And in today's world, what we need is FDA to recognize what the latest science is telling us and reassess the safety of existing chemicals, but also apply that latest science to the review of um, incoming chemicals. Yeah, that makes sense. And, you know, I know that California has been sort of a, a ahead of the curve, perhaps, or at least more aggressive in regulating some chemical products uh, when it comes to consumer products. I'm thinking about um, certain, I think there's elements of furniture and maybe other products that California kind of has additional standards for. Is that um, sort of federalist role where certain states take the lead? Is that something that you think there might be an interest in in states like California or elsewhere? Yeah, there's certainly been action happening at the state level when it comes to packaging um, to help fill the void at the federal level. And some key states that are really uh, that are really trying to um, uh, put legislation in place for their citizens include Washington State, Maine, and as you mentioned, California. And in fact, um, recently California passed um, some new legislation. Um, with respect to um, the uh, famous PFAS chemicals that I mentioned um, earlier in our call. Um, but all of that is to say that state-level action um, is helpful in terms of bringing these issues to the fore, demonstrating different um, ways to tackle them. But at the end of the day, um, we need, especially if I'm you know, talking about the U.S., we need uniform federal action um, that puts public health first. Right. Yeah, of course, given the nature of the supply chains um, and being national and international, that federal level coordination really does seem to make sense. Absolutely. So how about uh, at the personal level? I mentioned, you know, myself as a moderately informed consumer earlier, you know, we had pizza this weekend with my kid and we had the pizza box and I did not think about the chemicals uh, that might have been uh, lining that pizza box. What can listeners do uh, to reduce the environmental risks that the products they consume pose and, and reduce the risks to themselves and their families? Yeah, I mean, that's a great question. And I definitely get that often from my, you know, my own friends and family. And as you mentioned with the pizza box, that you shouldn't have to um, start thinking about that so closely, right? You should um, or spend time researching what are the products, what are the packaging and the products that are safe for me to bring into my into my home to be around my family. Because um, at the end of the day, this is a systems issue and we need companies and government um, to really step up and uh, and take action to use their their leverage here. Having said that, um, we as consumers do have the power of our voice and of our wallet. 
Um, we can hold companies accountable by supporting those that are setting public and ambitious time-bound goals to create and use safer and more sustainable packaging. And importantly, the ones that are following through on those commitments. Um, but we can also support policymakers who value public health and the environment. And once again, are demonstrating that in their, in their actions. Yeah, for sure. When people ask me similar questions about climate change, I I give them almost exactly the same answer that you just gave there, which is, you know, it's a systemic issue and we can play a role, but really, you know, voting and and being active with our voices is is maybe the most important thing we can do. So um, I always wonder about the plastic straw and paper straw thing. Is this something that you have an opinion on, like the value of using paper straws relative to plastic straws? So, you know, when it comes to packaging, a lot of the attention is on plastic packaging, right? Because um, it's very easy to see it in our environment um, when it hasn't been disposed of, when it's not getting recycled and everything. And it is a huge issue. Um, but there are um, there are many things that we also have to take into account with paper packaging or many things that uh, companies and others have to consider. Um, so, for example, when I was earlier talking about the issue of um, chemicals, uh, chemical additives and um, other contaminants um, lurking in our packaging, their potential for a f- impact on us doesn't stop after that first use. Um, it, the, the, the issue can continue as um, as we uh, increase, you know, recycling of these materials, because um, we desperately need to be re- reusing materials, right? We need we need to be building up that circular economy. Um, but uh, chemicals like, say, PFAS, which are also known as the forever chemicals, they don't go away. They don't go away when, um, you know, you're recycling paper and it has been detected in paper composting, right? And so all of that is to say that um, we need a lot of attention on no matter what type of material we're using for packaging, we need attention on what are we doing about the um, use and the further use of that material, but also what are the chemicals that we have introduced with that material all the way from the design stage. Um, We need more attention on that, whether we're talking about paper packaging or we're talking about plastic packaging. It's just a universal um, framing that we need when we think about, and when I say we, really talking about um, a packaging developers, packaging um, suppliers, and the brands, the brands who use them. Um, what what are you um, what are you specifying when you talk about um, the um, chemicals that are allowed to be used in these? Um, and what are you specifying in terms of um, the second life, if you will, of this material? Um, and those are important questions, no matter whether we're talking about paper or plastic. That's such a great answer and such a really nice note to end on, um, just helping us get a more nuanced view of the trade-offs that are involved in, in these issues and really understanding how complex they are. 
So uh, Boma brown West from the Environmental Defense Fund, thank you again so much for coming on the show. Let's go now to our last question that we ask all of our guests to uh, give us a recommendation of something they've read or watched or heard lately that's related to the environment, even if it's a little tangential, that uh, they think is great. And I'll start with a, a book that I'm in the middle of, and we're going to interview the author in a few weeks. The book is called Up to Heaven and Down to Hell, Fracking Freedom and Community in an American Town by Colin Geralmack. I'm not sure if I'm saying his last name right. We'll we'll find out in a couple of weeks. But he's a professor at New York University and spent uh, a long time basically living in uh, the town of Williamsport, Pennsylvania, uh, which is in Lycoming County, where there's been a whole lot of shale gas development over roughly the last 10 years. And um, having spent a lot of time in that part of the country myself, I just really appreciate this book. It gives such a wonderful, nuanced view of people's lives and how they've been affected in, in very real ways by the shale gas boom that's been happening in Pennsylvania. So if you're interested in uh, oil and gas, I think you'll really enjoy this book, Up to Heaven and Down to Hell. But how about you, Bumma? What's on the top of your literal or metaphorical reading stack? Well, first, I'm going to write that title down because it sounds very interesting. <laughs> so thank you for that. Um, so I have uh, two recommendations. One is, a, one is a bit sobering. It's a book I read last year called The American War, and it's by Omar El-Akkad. Um, and essentially about the U.S. later in this century and how completely different our country has become um, because of climate change. And there are wars, you know, there are things that you learn about in the book, but essentially the landscape has been changed um, by ensuing wars that were really kind of propagated by um, a changing climate and what that did to life. Um, and the book follows one woman's experience of um, what it's like to grow up and live in a type of society like that. And it was it was a pretty sobering book, so I will warn people. But it was also a reminder that um, some of the elements that are in the book are already happening in some parts of the world. Um, there are already lives and societies that have been upended by climate change. Um, and what this book does is provide a bit of um, a story about what that can do to people and their sense of normalcy and of what life is. Um, so um, I, I recommend that book. And then for a more upbeat recommendation, I recommend the Degrees podcast um, through EDF, which is now in its second season. Um, and this one, it features in-depth and up-close conversations with um, change makers who are using their careers to make a meaningful impact on the on the world. And it's a big variety. There are storytellers that are interviewed, songwriters, um, city leaders, um, former White House staffers, um, that kind of like, I'm interviewed, <laughs> although I don't, uh, you know, it's just a wide range of people. And so it provides an interesting mix of um, the different ways that you can be a change maker in the world. Yeah, those are great recommendations. I I loved American War, which I which I read a while back, and I, I've listened to some episode of the Degrees podcast as well, and and really appreciate that recommendation too. So um so along with that, we really appreciate you, Boma Brown West, for coming on the show, helping us understand all of these fascinating and complex issues around packaging, and also your work to help um, make us healthier and the environment more sustainable. Thank you so much for coming on the show. Thank you. This has been great. You've been listening to Resources Radio. Learn how to support resources for the future at rff.org slash support. 
If you have a minute, we'd really appreciate you leaving us a rating or a comment on your podcast platform of choice. Also, feel free to send us your suggestions for future episodes. Resources Radio is a podcast from Resources for the Future. RFF is an independent, nonprofit research institution in Washington, D.C. Our mission is to improve environmental, energy, and natural resource decisions through impartial economic research and policy engagement. The views expressed on this podcast are solely those of the podcast guests and may differ from those of RFF experts, its officers, or its directors. RFF does not take positions on specific legislative proposals. Resources Radio is produced by Elizabeth Wasson, with music by me, Daniel Ramey. Join us next week for another episode.